If you don't see me after half time, it means you've, you've been bloody rubbish. And if you're not rubbish today, that'll be a change. Hello, Paul Hart here. You're listening to the Green Jumper podcast with Marcus Holt. Coming up this time, remembering a special interview with the Miracle Manager. I treasure it, basically. I just said, this is not what a journalist normally says, but I just said, you know, if, it, if there's anything I want to get over to you, is just to say thank you for everything you did. They were great times, weren't they? I said, we had some great Saturdays. He says, yes, we had some great Wednesday evenings as well, didn't we? <laughs> and, and we were just like laughing. There are stories about cluffy legends like John Robertson, Kenny Burns, Gary Mills and Des Walker. They did say that Cluffy didn't make the life of either him or Stuart Pearce that easy about going to play for England. They never stopped them, but, you know, Cluffy's attitude was forest first, and when that, because obviously that was his job. Um, but Des Walker was, he saw Brian Clough produce a second side there, which I think is very, very much underestimated. Plus, managing the Mavericks. Duncan McKenzie was doing things I still remember now. You know, like, take the ball through the legs of the defender, wait for the blow to catch him up and then do it again. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, my goodness. He was a, a real entertainer. Mm. I mean, got an interesting perspective from Ian Bowie about him. And totally genuine one. I totally get it. He mm. said, you know, the problem with Duncan McKenzie was that, um, and he wasn't saying it in a bad way, he was saying, you know, the other players had no idea what he was going to do. He had no idea what he was going to do. He is a maverick. That's why Cluffy liked him. There was interest at, at times of, you know, Clough had to bring in Duncan McKenzie back to Forest. It would have been an absolutely wonderful thing if it had happened. You're listening to the Green Jumper podcast with myself, Marcus Alton, the editor of the tribute website, brianclough.com. And my guest today is journalist and author John Brindley, who's interviewed many Cluffy legends over the years and uh, has some great stories to tell. Thanks for joining us, John. Thanks for inviting me, Marcus. And I think it's fair to say that one of the common themes that comes through from all your interviews is Cluffy's incredible man management. Um, he really was like no other, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think I think for for that reason, incredibly misunderstood man. Because if if you listen to people now, and and people will still regale sort of Brian Clough stories because he, he's such a charismatic figure, they'll always say things like. Um, well, you know, he gave players lots of time off instead of giving them a training, and he, and he, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't do corners or free kicks and this type of thing. And it's almost as though, oh, and he let the players he let the players um, socialize to the to the ultimate. And the, and the the inference is almost that how did they succeed so well with with all these incredible things that he did? And they misunderstand totally yes. that actually what he did was years ahead of his time. Um, made perfect sense most of it and is still ahead of its time now because um, a lot of Brian Clough's ideas run completely contrary to the way that the modern game is run. Uh, it, I can understand why it confuses people, but it, but it is part of his genius that he was so far ahead of his time. Yeah, even just taking the players away for a mid-season break in the sunshine, really, uh, was quite unusual, I guess, in those days. But it, it, it did them the world of good. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, you know, talk, talking to Gary Mills, he said that, uh, as a 
who'd just been writing Gary's autobiography, he, he said, um, you know, that one of the common features was the uh, amount of flowers the uh, players, his wives and girlfriends used to get. Yes. And uh, these used to arrive because Brian Clough would um, very often sort of very spontaneously say, oh, we're going away on Wednesday. And, they, you know, nobody knew about it until the day before. But these flowers used to arrive. And you're absolutely right. You know, I think I think that there might have been some times when they played some get sort of exhibition games abroad that mm. one or two people might not have particularly wanted to play. But the getting people together uh, for a camaraderie point of view, uh, let's face it, getting away from the English winter weather. I mean, what a what a better winter break than to get out and to get some Spanish sunshine. Um, all these things are part of his man management. And the, the classic thing today would be, you know, your team loses on a Saturday and the manager says, right, we're in on Sunday morning. We're going to work doubly hard. Uh, we're going to look at the video, you know, and sort of analyse every single thing you did wrong and put it right for next week. And Brian Clough would say, no, we'll come in on Thursday to train or we're going away to Spain tomorrow. You know? Yes. <laughs> and Well, which one would you rather hear? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think I know which I'd rather hear. And to be honest with you, um, that all makes perfect sense because it relaxes people. I don't believe that people, I mean, footballers know the game. They know what they've done wrong. Uh, they know what they've done right. And actually sort of, you know, going over things in minute detail, reliving them, you know, puts people on edge, actually. Um, what they need to do on occasions, I believe, is to get it out of the mind, put it behind you, relax the body and the mind and the legs, get ready for next week. And he he was the master at it. But as you say, you know, certainly at the time, it was so unusual that, that um, people remark upon it. That's right. And there was this myth that he ruled by fear, which, you know, a yes. lot of the former players are keen to say, no, that, that wasn't right. Because if we were frightened, yes. we wouldn't have been able to play the way we did. Did that come through the interviews you've done? Oh, absolutely. 100%. And and strange enough, actually, this whole, this very issue was mentioned. And it was a, well, it was a great get together. Uh, it was a Gary Mills event, but it was uh, attended and supported by the likes of Gary Bertels, Colin Barrett, John O'Hare, Larry Lloyd, Kenny Burns, John Robertson, a good crowd of people. Yeah. And 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 I think it was actually the announcer who 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 made the point, you know, that Kevin Keegan was one of the one of the big stars who said that uh, I would never play for Brian Clough. I'd never play for Brian Clough as a dictator. And 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 Terry Curran uh, told me that uh, you know, Alan Ball, he was a bit, Kerry Curran was big friends with Alan Ball at Southampton. And they talked about all aspects of football and obviously Brian Clough and, and Alan Ball said, oh, I wouldn't want to play for Brian Clough, you know. <laughs> and and uh, Terry sort of put him right and the Forest lads answered the question. Um, if, if they'd been terrified of him, if they'd disliked him that much, uh, not been able to express themselves... Mm. Then they then they would have come in and they would have been nervous when they played football. Yes, they were sort of there was a lot of adrenaline when when Clough is around because they said you come into training you have no idea what's going to happen if anything by the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you know you don't know what mood he's going to be in and all that type of thing. But there was an excitement also, and as we've just said, you know with with the sort of holidays and the um, 
you know, the, the way that the players were treated and given sort of time and generous um, offerings to help them, they were always fresh and they were always looking forward and always optimistic. And Cluffy was like, um, you know, if you're going to have a dictator, let's have a dictator who tells you you're wonderful. Yes. You know, the, the Forest players who in that era were wonderful, but he praised them to the to the point where they actually, I honestly believe this, they actually individually believed they were better than they really were. And they were good, but they but they 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 in their minds they were even better. Yeah. I wouldn't be the only person who's ever said, you know, perhaps the be- perhaps the best thing you could ever have would be like a benevolent dictator. I think more famous people than me have said that. Well, I don't particularly like the word dictator, but if if Brian Brian Clough was certainly a leader, but there was a benevolent side to him as well. Um, in fact, a very important benevolent side. And that got the best out of people rather than the worst. The person who sort of lays down the law, but you don't feel as though you can, you know, don't feel as though you can express yourself and be yourself with them. That's the dictator to avoid. And, and yeah. there are those in football, yes. Yeah. I know you, you've worked closely with Terry Curran, yeah. one of his first signings at, at Forest, and um, yeah. uh, a couple of books there that, you, that you've um, worked with him on. And I remember reading how um, Cluffy said to him at the time, you know, I'm going to make you into a an England mm. international. And uh, Terry actually says, ah, well, you don't need to bother about that. I can do it myself. <laughs> so, you know, That's uh, Terry, t- t- Terry yeah. was able to give as good as he got. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I think that was one of the mysteries, actually, between Terry Curran and the other Forest players. Because the other Forest players, I don't think, really realised why Cluffy liked him so much, apart from being a good player, obviously a very good player. Mm. But, you know, people like Brian Clough very often they actually like someone who stands up to them. So, you know, the majority of people, I think it's fair to say, the majority of Forest players were, were humble and fairly submissive to, to Brian Clough. And I wanted to, you know, they didn't particularly like him. They, they, they weren't able to, or didn't feel able to sort of argue with him. Let's put it that way. Terry was a type of person who who knew his own mind. First of all, he... Um, he was extremely keen to play for Brian Clough. That was the reason why he signed for Forest. I mean, if you look at the other teams that were in the in the hunt for him at the time, he was, he was, he was a Doncaster winger at the time. And um, yeah. you had Everton there, first division, Spurs, first division, Sheffield United, who I think may have been second division, but a good side, obviously. And then you had Forest, who were mid-second division. And the big thing that sort of um, swung it and made it, a one-horse race, basically, uh, was Brian Clough. Well, yes, uh, and I think it's a good moment to hear what Terry told us on her previous Green Jumper. What did he say? Sign that contract there, young man. And I turned around and I said, not yet, I'm not. I said, I'm a plane on Saturday. He said, I haven't bought you to sit on the bench, lad. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, he says, sign the contract. So I said, hang on a bit, you know, what about my wages? He said, what are you looking for? I, I said, £90 a week. He said, I'll give you 120 hours <laughs> Now sign the contract. And he said, young man, I'm going to make you an England player. And I said to him, this is, you know, truth, gospel truth. I said to him, I'll make myself an England player, uh, boss. <laughs> and I said, on top of that, 
I'll get you promotion. He liked Brian Clough's confidence um, and he shared his confidence, if you like. Yeah. Uh, Terry doesn't is one of these guys who didn't need anyone to tell him how how good a player he was because he knew. Mm. And you, you mean, if you want to, you can call that arrogance. But when somebody puts it into effect on the pitch, as Brian Clough put it on into effect in management, then you can cope with it and respect it. So those two actually had a very almost like a unique relationship and it mm. the, the the sadness of it was it was too brief yes and yes. Uh, yeah. yeah what you sort of think what 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 could have been really if um terry curran had, st- had stayed longer but looking at someone who came into the side once they got promotion uh, kenny burns yeah. who uh, i know yeah. you've spoken to and the way he turned around someone like Kenny Burns, yeah. who came with quite a reputation, really. It was quite yeah. a, quite amazing. Yeah, it is quite amazing. And, of course, um, I think that's the, that, that was a signing that uh, Brian Clough owed a lot to Peter Taylor for, uh, because the, the story goes that, um, that Peter Taylor was all for checking out Kenny and, you know, with a view to bringing him in. And, and Brian Clough was wary of the mm. stories about Kenny. Mm. And, that you know, can, can he tells the story of Peter Taylor going to the dog track with him and seeing how much he put on the on the races and seeing what he's, you know, try, trying to work, trying to find out what type of character this guy was. Yeah. Well, one of the things Kenny Burns told me, I asked him about uh, the fact that, you know, prior to joining Forrest, he'd mostly been a centre-forward. He had certainly played centre-half for Birmingham City. Yeah. But I remember one game um, he played for Birmingham that was on Match of the Day, and both him and... Uh, Trevor Francis scored a hat trick at uh, Leicester. <laughs> I always remember things like that. And uh, Kenny Kenny Burns said that. So I said to him, "How? When did you know? You know that you, that you were going to be playing centre half for Forest?" And he said, "Well, it was on that pre-season tour, and I think it was Jimmy Gordon who read out the side, and they read read out the side, and it goes, you know, Anderson, Clark, McGovern, Lloyd, Burns. You're thinking, oh." I was expecting to be yeah. I was expecting to be named a bit later on, you know, like yeah, yeah. alongside Bertels or, uh, or or Woodcock or whatever. Well, it'd be with actually at that time, wouldn't it? Yeah. But uh, no, so that was how he knew. They never said to him, "Well, we're going to play you at centre off." They just read it out basically. Yeah, and he worked out. You 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 go and play there, <laughs> and uh, you go play alongside Larry Lloyd. Um, <laughs> and so an, an interesting partnership was formed because. Larry Lloyd and Kenny Burns are probably not the world's greatest uh, buddies in some respects, but they rub along together. And my goodness, as a partnership, yeah. as a partnership at the back for Forest, they were unbelievable. It, it, re- it really was uh, a fun- fantastic partnership. Uh, and, yeah. um, and, and talking of defenders sort of in that position, as part of your book, Nottingham Forest 20 Legends, you spoke to Des Walker, yeah. who actually does very few interviews, really. Uh, what yeah. uh, what did he have to say about Cluffy? Well, interesting. I mean, I, I was told that, that Des Walker either says nothing or you can't stop him talking. And, <laughs> and I got this can't stop him talking ah, angle, which good. was really good. Um, of course, he was incredibly positive about Brian Cluffy. One, one thing I do remember, that perhaps above all, was he said that um, Des Walker was very, very uh, excited about playing for England. He said to me, the one thing in... in uh, football I regret is my 60th cap because I never got it I only got 59 so 
but that was that sort of like highlights what his his view on, on how important it was to play for England. And he did say that you know that uh, Cloughy didn't make the life of either him or Stuart Pearce that easy about going to play for England. They never stopped them. Uh, obviously, you know that would would have been way beyond the pale. But you know Cloughy's attitude was Forest first, and with that because obviously that was his job. Uh, but Des Walker was. He he saw Brian Clough produce a second side there, which I think is very very much underestimated, um, because the the European Cup side split up quite dramatically actually um, in the season after after Forest had won it for the second time. Several players left, and a younger side emerged. and And of course, Des Walker was one of those players who was brought through at an early age and given responsibility. And given uh, the chance to to play it at you know a top level in the first division, and he became one of the the best England centre halves. And I think if you, I think the the hard task people have if they if they try to name a sort of Forest all time great eleven, you you look at the centre halves and you go, well Lloyd and Burns. I think oh, Des Walker, Des Walker was yeah. a better player in many respects than either of those. A classier player, but of course, we didn't have the sort of partnership. We had good partnerships at Forest, but not not in the ilk of the of the Lloyd and Burns partnership. Yeah, and as you say, you know, it was in Cluffy's later successful years uh, he brought those youthful sides through. Yeah. Des- described as Cluffy's darling buds of of May, I think, because um, <laughs> they went to Wembley each yeah. year. Um, yeah. And I, I guess. Going back, though, Gary Mills was probably the first example of that, you know, 10 years before, really. And he was brought through yes. very carefully, wasn't he, in, into the first yeah. team? Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, it's, it's a great story and, and what, one that is in his book, which is the fact that um, he was the sort of dynamic superstar teenager who was not just a superstar at football, but uh, rugby and athletics as well. And but when he Forrest won the race to to sign him, and as a fourteen year old, he was introduced to the Forest first team in terms of training. Mm. Um, you know, he was he was Cluffy just shunted him from the pitch where the youths were youth side were training and said, "Come and train with the seniors," and that was it. You know, you don't the thing with Cluffy, there was no sort of like prior warning to these type of things, or you know, like a a lot of uh, preamble. Again, part of his genius as a man manager, like Mark Crosley will tell you that um, uh, he didn't sort of say, you know what, we might play you on Wednesday and give you, and t- gives gives the guy sort of like three days to think about making mm. his debut against Liverpool at the City Ground in an important game. He just told him like, oh, get changed. Yeah. You're in goal tonight, you know, half an hour before the game because it took their nerves away. Mm. Um, and, and Gary sort of, it wasn't introduced to him as being a big thing. It was introduced him to as being, well, oh, go on, train with the first team. Uh, oh, play in the Central League. Well, he was playing in the Central League at the age of 14 and he made his debut against Liverpool. And we're talking about playing against some very, very good players. Yeah, yeah. The Central League yeah. was a serious league. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's a massive miss these days that there's no reserve team football uh, because... Could you imagine some of the players who might be playing in it? But 
he was brought through in an inconspicuous type of way that made it seem completely natural. Yes. Um, and, and therefore, when he got there, he performed as though he belonged, and he did belong. And you're dead right. I mean, he was... The interesting thing was that he, he was a youngster, the babe of the European Cup winning side, and then eventually, sort of, because he, he left the club in 1987, one of the more experienced players in the youthful side. Yeah, and yeah. He, and he speaks a lot about that side, you know, and I think he's absolutely spot on. That, but for the fact that Forrest won the European Cup twice previously, the fans would be going on about that side and saying, "Whoa, what a side that was in the late 80s." And that you know, eighty nine and ninety when they won the League Cup, got to the FA Cup final, finished third in the league a couple of times. We'd be eulogising about that side, but football being what it is and life being what it is, you know, everything goes back to, well, it wasn't the same as winning the European Cup. My goodness, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, we only have to see yeah, these days, is. don't we? How difficult it is to rebuild a, a successful yeah. side and keep it going. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and Cluffy was able to do that s several times, really. Um, we, we talked about Terry Curran, s sort of being yeah. one of the flamboyant players. Uh, another flamboyant yeah. player, Duncan McKenzie, um, who, well, you, yeah. who you spoke to. What a player. Yeah. What a player. I mean, I was really thrilled to interview Duncan McKenzie. And I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times since as well at events. And because prior to this great forest side, mm. I... I you know, as, as I said, I started watching Forest sort of early 70s. Mm. And we had a, a, a team of stunning mediocrity. <laughs> but the one the one the one player who was absolutely no way was he mediocre was Duncan McKenzie. He was an unbelievable player. Didn't always no things didn't always come off for him because he was always trying things that other people wouldn't do. But uh, I remember, I mean, when you think about all the all the football matches you've ever watched, most of them sort of drift into insignificance. And this particular game I was watching was uh, a match between Forest and Notts County at the City Ground. And you think, well, it's it's a County Cup. It's a nothing game. And Duncan McKenzie was doing things that made me, I still remember now, you know, like take the ball through the legs of the defender. Yeah. Wait for the blow to catch him up and then do it again. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my goodness, the, the, he was a he was a a real entertainer. Mm. I mean, got an interesting perspective from Ian Bowyer about him, and mm. totally genuine one. I totally get it. He mm. said, you know, the problem with Duncan McKenzie was that, um, and he wasn't saying it in a bad way. He was saying, you know, the other players had no idea what he was going to do. He had no idea what he was going to do. So as a team. As a, t as a on a team basis, occasionally you're going to miss out on something because he's going to be. Because I mean, I said to I asked Duncan McKenzie, you know, did he give you as much thrill, sort of, you know, not making someone as scoring a goal? And he said, well, if I could uh, beat a player and then beat him again, I loved it twice yeah. or three times as much. You know, yeah. he he got that enjoyment. He's he is a maverick. Well, that's why Cluffy liked him. Mm. Sad, it was sad for Forrest, obviously, but you know, Cluffy signed him for. For Leeds, yeah. um, and he was the only player that Clough signed for Leeds that was, re you know, remotely successful because obviously John McGovern and John O'Hare weren't really given a chance by the supporters. No, I can understand why. Mackenzie went on to become pretty successful there. He, he was um, on the bench in the European Cup final, for example, and and yeah, yeah, um, 
there, there, there was interest at times of, you know, Klopp had to bring in Duncan McKenzie back to Forest. It would have been an absolutely wonderful thing if it had happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but you see, from a Cluffy point of view, whereas, you know, other managers might have thought, you know, that McKenzie is a bit, is a bit out there. I don't really get him. <laughs> you know, he's not really a team man. Cluffy, time and time and time again, would take that as being a personal challenge. So, you know, the likes of uh, Stan Bowles, for example, mm. you know, another sort of character. Yeah. Terry, to a certain extent. So, certainly, I mean, I think he would have absolutely loved to assign George Best uh, and, and see what he could do with him. And he would have uh, backed himself to get the best out of him. Yeah, I mean, you know, wouldn't have been fantastic to see a Duncan McKenzie in that great forest side. Yeah, yes, um, yeah. Well, at the time, you know, you'd pay your admission money yeah. just to watch him. We all remember that game against Man yeah. City, don't we? Yeah, the, yeah. The game where he utterly destroyed them, you know. Uh, yeah. Forest fans still talk about that. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Ian Bowyer yeah. a few moments ago. Perhaps a, a bit of an unsung hero, really. Um, yeah, But, it, you know, if it hadn't have been for that crucial goal against Cologne, that the European Cup victories might never have happened. You know what? You, you're absolutely spot on in unsung, but I'll tell you where he's not unsung. Mm. He was never unsung in the forest dressing room. Right. Um, he was valued in that forest dressing room. Ian Bowyer, he's got a, a real place in forest history, not just for that goal against Cologne. But mm. first of all, let's think about this. Apart from um, uh, Bobby McKinley, who made about 700 appearances, mm. Ian Bowie has made more appearances for Forrest than anyone else. So, in other words, he's he's on at the moment, and he's very proud of this, by the way. He's made more appearances than any other living person on the planet for Nottingham Forest. Mm. He was there in those you know pre-Cluffy days. He'd signed from first of all, he, he won a Cup Winners Cup medal at Man City. Mm. He then had a sort of not a good move to Orient. Uh, it, it didn't come off. But he comes to Forest, I think it was for about £40,000 and something like that. And um, when Cluffy <laughs> when Cluffy joined Forest, it was quite this was quite funny actually because he, he says he, he was actually he had a minor injury and he was on the treatment table. And uh, he says his first introduction was when Brian Clough was Brian Clough walks in and sees him on the treatment table and he goes, Oh no, not another one of them. And he's, he's thinking like, you know, he's, he's another one is always like wanting out a good excuse not to train when things aren't going well mm. and and you could not have had a more opposite the case than, than that with Ian Bowyer because Ian Bowyer was a consummate professional who would never duck anything and and he proved that time and again you know uh, to Clough afterwards yeah and and the, you know with with Bowyer a decision was made that changed Forest history in many respects because because Ian Bowyer was playing wide left that was apparently um, how he first got his uh, title of bomber because he used to sort of apparently bomb in, die bomb in from the left flank and finish chances off. Right. It was described by Francis Lee as more like a glider towards the end of his career. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably yes. becoming more of a glider at Forest. Yeah. And then yeah. suddenly, so, so Bowie was playing wide left and John Robertson was playing in the centre of midfield yeah. where he wanted to play, by the way. And I think it was either Peter, I think it was Peter Taylor who actually thought of, well, let's 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 see if we swap those two positions, see how it goes. And I say John Robertson wasn't keen on it because he thought in the middle of midfield he'd get more of the ball. Mm. 
you know, everybody else knew that he couldn't really get up and down the pitch. He was a good midfield player, but not. he was never going anywhere in that position. And Ian Bowyer was good on the left flank, but my goodness, was he good in the centre with his competitiveness and his box-to-box uh, agility and, and physicality, yeah. energy. You know, Ian Bowyer was one of the greatest players in Forest history, without any doubt. And again, he became part of the second side because after they'd perhaps inadvisedly sold him to, to Sunderland, he came back and, and he performed again. And he he became like the the one to look to in that dressing room of the of the of the the side that was emerging in the sort of mid eighties. Um, tremendous footballer, um, as you say. Some players go under the radar, don't they? Mm. But yeah. it doesn't mean that. Um, as far as Brian Clough was concerned, or as far as the his fellow professional were concerned, that he went under the radar, because they they're the people that know the game. Yes, and he yeah. was highly he yeah. was highly he was right up there. Yeah, right so, up. some brilliant performances from uh, yeah. Bomber Bowyer over the years, and you you say obviously Robbo Ro, John Robertson yeah. moved to the to, to the left, yeah, and made it his own, and um and, and Cluffy. His instruction to, to most of the players was: once you get the ball, give it to Robbo, and and that was the way things developed, wasn't it? And and I think yeah. Robertson embraced that and 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 fed off it that confidence yeah. that Clough had in him. Yeah, but the interesting story there because whilst Terry Curran was at Forest, and this was like so, this was the promotion season from the second division. He tells me that uh, Robbo used to complain that. Too many of Forest attacks used to go down the right hand side to go down Curran's side. Yeah, uh, Curran and, and Viv Anderson, of course. And then, and I think he was right. I think he was right because I, I do remember a lot. I watched all those all those home games, and it's it's fair to say, certainly until he got his injury uh, against Burnley, which is very you know a very bad injury in fact uh, mm. Terry Curran had mm. that he was probably our main threat he was our threat on that flank and then John Robertson started to flourish probably just towards the end of that season and then when we got into the first division as you know um Brian Clough made a big decision which was uh, no it wasn't irreversible by the way uh, Terry Curran could have got back into the side but mm. he he lined up at Everton with Robbo on the left and Martin O'Neill in a slightly more withdrawn role on the right. And from then on, everything went down that flank. And uh, Gary Mills tells me a story where he says, you know, all the players were told what you exactly what you've just said. Mm. You get the ball, pass it to Robbo, let him do it. Mm. And he says, Stan Bowles comes into the side. <laughs> and Stan Bowles was, I mean, I remember him as like the playmaker at QPR. He was absolutely fabulous at QPR. There was one cup tie at Forest, which went to three games. And I tell you what, Forest won the game in the end. But Stan Bowles was the man of the match of all three games. He was absolutely brilliant. And and obviously a maverick character as well, as you know. And Stan Bowles was told when he got into the Forest dressing room, right, Stan, get the ball, pass it to Robbo. He could play. And Stan Bowles, apparently, his attitude was, no, no, I, I'm Bowlesy. I can play. No, no. You pass it to John Robertson. So, so it was like it didn't work with Stan because mm. the others were humble enough, if you know what I mean, 
to, to take that instruction on board. I mean, John McGovern is probably the greatest example of all. I mean, the reason why John McGovern was a forest great was he did what he was told. He was told, get in good positions to defend for us, get the ball, pass it to John Robertson, pass it to the nearest player. Not, not to try to dribble past three players but to make some space or to, you know, let's try a 35-yard diagonal to Martin. No, 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 no. Mm. Pass it to the nearest player. And the fact that he did it so well and lost possession so infrequently mm. means, again, he was like one who went under the radar. But if Stan Bowles could have just, you know, said, well, OK, then I'll do that. He might have been, he might have had a, a more successful time at Forest than he did. Because yes. I'll tell you what, he wasn't lacking in talent, was he? But maybe an example of a player that, that you know, that, that Cluffy thought he could tame thought he could mould, but perhaps, you know, sometimes he simply can't. And, uh, you know, I mean, Stan uh, contributed to Forrest, but not in the way that we'd hoped. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, a, a, a case of uh, what could have been, I, I suppose, yeah. a bit like Terry Curran. And you, yeah. you, you've ghostwritten books for Terry and, and Gary Mills. How yeah. was how was that process for you, putting a story together in someone else's voice, did it come naturally to you? Actually, it did. Um, I think that, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a very good mm. question. And and from from my point of view, mm. I think I'm a spectator. So mm-hmm. um, I've never been a footballer because I'm not an athletic person. And so my taking in of football has been as a spectator. Yeah. And I found that, you know, sort of spending time with people, trying to work out, you know what they're like uh, what what they're about as much as what their story is i found that i do find that quite a natural thing to do it's a little bit like the role of a counselor in a way you're sort of like enabling someone to to do something here's a question for you how would you have approached being brian clough's ghostwriter (laughs) (laughs) would you have liked to have done that wow wow well, what a good question that is. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you this, that um, I only interviewed him once, but uh, when I say only, mm. I, I, I treasure it, basically. Yeah. Um, and it was, because yeah. I, I was, at the time when, you know, Cluffy was the manager of Forest, I was working on a local paper, but this was this was not, not in Nottingham, it's in Loughborough, and we didn't have sort of direct media access to Nottingham Forest at that, at that time. But I was working, I've, I've always had an, so, or in the last 20 years, but I had an association with a non-league paper. Mm. And it was one time, and it was uh, it was at East Midlands Airport, and it was a launch of one of Brian Clough's books. This was way after um, he'd left Forest. Yes. Um, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be a good idea to go and see him and to try to get an interview? And uh, Nigel was there, and... Yep. Um, Nigel was a great guy. He got the utmost respect for the guy. Mm-hmm. And he was protecting Brian Clough that day. And he said, yeah, you know, because he, he, uh, Brian wasn't well. And Nigel said, you know, just just a few minutes, you know, be, be, be gentle with him. And, so, you know, and uh, I spoke to him and um, I just said, this is not what a journalist normally says, but I just said, you know, if, if there's anything I want to get over to you is just to say thank you for everything you did. 
Yeah. With a, and he said, they were great times, weren't they? They, we had some, I said, we had some great Saturdays. He says, yes, we had some great Wednesday evenings as well, didn't we? <laughs> and, and we were just like laughing. And uh, I think the, the best way to talk to him is just to share some of the great times um, mm. and to to know that you were there, that you, you remember them and to, to be human with him, mm. not try to be clever because that's not going to go down well with Brian Clough. No. That's not going to go down well with him. <laughs> But to sort of like to show that you're interested and respectful. But I, all I can say is the people who did work with Brian Clough on a closer basis at Forest all report the same thing, which was they had no idea what he was going to be like. So one day he's absolutely charming, uh, wonderful with them. The next day he turns up an hour and a half late and then mm. blames them, you know. But, you know, they got to know him. And, you know, the people that got to know him sort of worked within those parameters and knew that what results he got, not just football results, but, you know, what he got out of people um, in his life. And so there was a massive respect there. Um, And and people hung on his every word. I mean, I remember right right from the beginning. So this was like when... uh, Cluffy was manager of Derby. He was probably, when I was listening to people in the sports world as an impressionable young person, the two people I always wanted to hear were Brian Clough and Muhammad Ali, because they were they both had that amazing charisma. And when they came on TV, you thought, I want to hear what this guy's got to say. You know, he's going to say some. He's going to he's going to entertain me. He's going to make me laugh. He's going to say something I don't expect. And um, that was him. He, 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 and he, he still did it even in, you know, even in those last few years when he was out of the game, um, when he appeared on the odd radio program or TV broadcasting, he was still saying interesting things. Um, This, this man, he was a very, very sharp man. I mean, there's different forms of intelligence. People get it, get things wrong. They think, you know, intelligence is like, uh, how many O-levels somebody's got? How many A-levels? Have they got a degree? Oh, in football, has he got a coaching qualification? Mm-hmm. No, none of those things. None of those things. It, he, he had like a natural common sense intelligence, emotional intelligence, knew how to connect with people. One way that Terry told it was, it was quite, you know, and I've heard this from other people as well, saying, you know, the players who were really doing it, he would keep the button down and make sure they didn't get over themselves. Mm. The players that were having a hard time, he'd defend to the hill. Yes. Because he knew, yeah, they're having a hard time, but they're, but you know, they're putting in the effort and they don't need somebody else to say, you know, to, to have a go at them. They, they needed a bit of a bit of support. And that's what he was like. He supported his players. He, he never heard, you never heard Brian Clough say, one of my players isn't, isn't pulling their weight or, you know, he supported his players in that dressing room. That's why they'd run through walls for him. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they knew that he believed in them. Well, that that's that famous quote, isn't it? I, I hope no one's stupid enough to write us off. He showed that confidence uh, in his own yeah. players. But that, that day at East Midlands Airport you, you mentioned, yeah. when you met him, were you nervous? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, you know, as a, as a journalist, you sort of, um, I'm not. I'm not one of these people who tends to sort of like get very sort of. Oh, this one. I'm meeting this wonderful person. Not like that. But with him, yeah, 
mm. because yeah, this this was like somebody who I'd looked up to, you know, for for so long, yeah. and I wanted to get the best out of mm. the situation. Mm. And he was extremely good. It was it was very amusing because he spoke. Um, one of his themes, as you know, when he was um, in management, was that every chairman was a total idiot. And, <laughs> and uh, the the nice thing was he he'd actually said, and I'm sure actually he quite liked some of those chairmen that he insulted like that. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, he was talking. This was a time when he, his consumption with football was watching Nigel's side, uh, Burton Albion, right. And he said he got a very good relationship with the chairman, <laughs> Ed yes. Robinson. He's a great guy. Um, he's done absolute wonders for, for for Burton Albion. Yeah. And it was nice to hear that that you know like uh, he he got this. He actually I can't remember what phrase he used now, but he, he sort of said that something on the lines of it's most unusual for me to like a chairman. But you know. <laughs> yes, exactly, it is. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So it, it was a nervous experience to speak to, but yeah. he, he he put me at it. Yes. even though he, he wasn't he wasn't in the best of, of yeah. shape as he know yeah. yeah and um it was just great to just to talk to him about both sort of some memories but also what he was doing at that time and how he was you know supported nigel mm-hmm. uh nigel side you know yeah. um yeah yeah some some great uh some great memories and I'm glad you managed to, um, to, to speak to him as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah. He, he enjoyed that, uh, that day signing books. Uh, yes. John Brindley. Thanks ever so much um, for joining us today. Um, if uh, you want to purchase any of the books, uh, Gary Mills, Terry Curran, uh, there's details on the show notes for this episode. But uh, John, it's been an absolute delight. And uh, thanks very much uh, thank for you. sharing your memories. No, thank you very much. It's been it's been a lovely experience. And, the, you know, good to talk to you, but also those memories are so uh, golden and Really what football and life's all about, isn't it? And once again, thanks to you for listening. You can read more about Brian Clough on the Tribute website, brianclough.com. And I hope you can join me again soon for a new season of Memories of the Great Man in the Green Jumper. Thank you.